Welcome to episode 25 of the Clean Sport Collective podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung. I'll be joined for this episode by co-host Shanna Burnett as we switch gears for today's episode and interview a mixed martial artist. James Wilkes joins the show. James was a UFC fighter as well as a reality TV star on the show Ultimate Fighter. More recently, James conceptualized and then produced the documentary film Game Changers, which is a movie that promotes plant-based eating. And James and others interview athletes from a variety of sports that follow a plant-based diet and then talk about how that diet fuels performance as well as recovery. So we cover the film with James. We also talk about his own journey to convert to a plant-based eating and how it has affected his performance and recovery over time. And then, of course, we dig in with him on the clean sport culture within mixed martial arts, as well as the evolution of testing in that sport. So with that as an introduction, let's talk to James Wilkes. Welcome, James Wilkes, to the show. How are you doing today, James? Great. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Good to have you. You're our first mixed martial artist to be on the the Clean Sport Collective podcast. So that's exciting to get a, a perspective from a new sport. Wanted to start by just simply asking how you got started, maybe in sport generally, and then how that transitioned into mixed martial arts. Yeah, I mean, actually, my uncle was, you know, really high profile karate um, fighter in the in the UK. My dad was into martial arts, um, and so. It was sort of just a natural thing for me to go into. I was into Bruce Lee movies as well when I was a kid, so I really liked fighting. But I also played a lot of sports, cricket in England, which you don't really have here in the States or in Canada. Um, you know, rugby, soccer, or we call it football. Um, you know, lots of sort of uh, track and field events. So really quite active as a, as a kid. What motivated you to specifically focus on, on the martial arts? I think it was that, um, you know, Bruce Lee was a big influence, sort of being able to uh, defend himself. And then also, you know, I started doing martial arts but, um, when I was eight. When I was 15, I got attacked on the street and got beaten up and uh, realized that some of those routines and things that I hadn't, uh, that I'd been doing for years weren't really uh, very useful. And so I really started to do a deep dive for the, sort of the search for truth in combat and started studying various styles of martial arts. And I think you ended up ultimately working into jujitsu, if I'm not mistaken. So why that form of martial arts for you? Yeah, I mean, I did various martial arts, um, but Brazilian jiu-jitsu and, and combat submission wrestling, they're just um, very effective and practical and based on leverage and logic. And, um, you know, it's not about strength. Um, I mean, certainly there's some athleticism involved, but it's really about um, using your body um, you know, your whole body against various joints uh, and chokes and that side of things. Just very uh, practical uh, on the ground. And your career progressed quite interestingly as you ended up you know, on a TV show, The Ultimate Fighter, as a winner there. How, how did that change things for you, suddenly getting burst into the spotlight that way? Yeah, and I was, um, you know, my main thing was sort of teaching and training for realistic self-defense. But I started, um, you know, feeling the need to compete. So I would compete once, uh, twice a year here and there in professional fights. But I didn't really consider myself a professional fighter. And I was turning 30 years old. And I thought, I don't, I don't want to look back and say, well, I could have been in the UFC. And so, 
I decided to try out, got on the show, and, and unfortunately won it for the welterweight division. So um, that's how it kind of uh, it led to that. And then, you know, after that, obviously things change. You start fighting, then, you know, it's your career and you're fighting for money. Um, and things actually changed for me quite a bit because I just I actually wasn't as uh, into it, believe it or not, once, you know, I got the contract with the UFC because before I was doing it because I had a goal to win the Ultimate Fighter. And after that, it started to feel a bit, like a job, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing it because, you know, for the paycheck, whereas uh, rather than just for the passion. Um, so things definitely changed. But obviously winning the Ultimate Fighter was like a, um, you know, a springboard to do other things uh, like the documentary that I'm doing now. So let's talk about that. How did you go from a retired UFC fighter to getting involved with this documentary, The Game Changers? So I uh, actually got injured sparring with a future heavyweight champion for the UFC, tore ligaments in both of my knees. And I thought, well, what can I do productive with my time? I knew there'd be about six months where I really couldn't train properly. So I thought, well, I could study nutrition for optimal recovery and performance. So that's when I started digging into the, uh, the peer-reviewed science. And I came across a study about the Roman gladiators. And the an- scientists analyzed the bones and could tell five, over 5,000 bones, 68 gladiator skeletons, and they could tell they're eating almost exclusively, if not completely, plants. And I thought, well, that can't be true because um, you have to have meat and animal protein to be strong and healthy. So that's when I really started digging in and decided to make a documentary about it. So where did it, get, where did it go from there? Give us a little overview of how that proceeded, because ultimately through the documentary, you got exposed to a lot of different athletes from different areas and worked with them thinking through their recovery mechanism, their diet. How did that come together? Um, I partnered up with uh, Joseph Pace, who's sort of been plant-based for like 25 years at that time. Uh, and he was a screenwriter. And we just started sort of developing the ideas for the film. And it had also been part of just my natural journey. I was just curious. And I'd, sort of, I'd been reaching out. And originally, I bought a used camera off of Craigslist. And just started interviewing some people, knowing that footage might not get used, or I could just put it up on the web. Uh, and it just sort of grew from there organically, um, you know, uh, moving from like this used camera from Craigslist to raising some funds. And the project just sort of started growing from there. And what athletes were you ultimately exposed to through that process? And there were so many. In fact, we filmed 50 more athletes than we were able to put in the film. Um, but, you know, folks like Patrick Baboumian, uh, Germany's strongest man, he has four Guinness World Records, including the heaviest weight ever carried uh, over 10 meters by a human being. Um, Scott Jurek, who is one of the best ultra distance runners of all time. He, um, you know, he specialized in one day endurance events. So, for example, he has the U.S. record for running the most miles in 24 hours, it's like 160 odd miles, six and a half marathons in one day. And then in the film, we actually um, document him running the Appalachian Trail and beating that record at the time. Um, Morgan Mitchell, the 400-meter um, Australian two-time champion. Dotsie Bausch, the eight-time USA national cycling champion and uh, Olympic medalist. So, you know, a real host of uh, Kendrick Farris, the only uh, male weightlifter to represent uh the olympics in um i think it was 2012 and 2016 so just a really wide range of athletes really and what did you learn i mean obviously you learned a lot but what did you learn from those athletes what was the common thread well from the athletes but also there was sort of the anecdotal side which was representative of the scientific 
consensus and evidence that you know I came across, and also the experts that um, we reached out to, who were very high level. You know, the head of nutrition at Harvard, the head of anthropology at Harvard, the president of the American College of Cardiology, you know, world class experts. So the athletes sort of backed up what the science was saying was that you know, what you put in your body is your fuel, right? And so that's very important. And I started to realize that not only did we not need meat and other animal products um, to be strong and to build muscle, but that there was actually significant advantages from reducing or cutting that out and increasing plant consumption, which not only does all protein originate in plants, but there's also beneficial things which increase blood flow, which allow more oxygen and more nutrients to the muscles. So what does that mean for an athlete? What happens then because of those things? Well, I think you can just perform better, right? So if you can get more oxygen and more nutrients to the muscles, you can perform more reps, you can uh, run further. And there's actually studies showing increased total um, bench press being lifted um, further and faster running times, for example, just from beet juice alone. Um, You know, so there's really... uh, some significant advantages. And of course, those small advantages, especially over time, can really build up and actually make a difference between coming first or second or third. Um, So really quite significant. So why then is it so pervasive that you need meat to be strong and faster? I mean, that that is the myth you're trying to bust with this film. But why is that? Why is that so pervasive if there's a better way? Well, I think it's existed for a very, very long time, going back to sort of the concept that man is the hunter. So I think there's a myth under there that real men eat meat um, and men being sort of more considering themselves macho and, you know, being the hunter and being able to take down these animals, being tough and strong. So I think it goes all the way back to then. In fact, there was a conference in the 1960s um, by Dr. Richard Lee that was put together. It was called Man the Hunter Conference. It had all these anthropologists. And one of the findings from that conference was that man the hunter was actually a misnomer and it should really be man the gatherer hunter or gatherer scavenger hunter in that order because uh, gathering would actually account for a lot more of the calories than once um, we once thought. And then, of course, you know, my parents would tell me that we would need meat to be strong and healthy, um, which I think is pretty typical. And then the marketing from the meat industry and also the infiltration of the scientific literature by bias studies, you know, the meat industry is funding a lot of these studies. You really got to dig deep to see who is getting paid to write these studies, you know, what are the biases. And I think so there's a lot of different angles coming at us that we really believe that we need meat to be strong and healthy. And I guess at a base level, it sort of makes sense. If you eat the animal's muscles, which is what meat is, you are, um, you know, going to help build your muscles. But that's, as Patrick Baboumian says in our bonus content, you know, it's a bit like, thinking that you could eat smart people's brains in order to get smarter, and that's not how it works. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so tell me then, as you're having these conversations, talking to these athletes, how did it influence your personal journey? Had you already fully gone vegan at that point, or were you in a progression, a personal progression as well? So yeah, I was in a personal progression as I was digging into this research. Um, and when I started, you know, I started cutting out various things, cut out red meat and then chicken, um, cut out uh, dairy, then fish, then finally eggs. And again, I wasn't thinking, okay, I'm going vegan. I thought, let's give it an experiment. And so just 
I sort of, as I was reading this research, I started trying it. Um, and, you know, just the results for me were incredible. So let's talk about those. So what did, how did it change you? How did it, how did it feel? And at this point you're retired, so you're not competing any longer, right? But uh, no, like, not, uh, not quite. So what happened was, so I got injured toward ligaments in both of my knees. Um, I went uh, plant-based during this experiment and I actually did start training for a fight. Um, the reason I medically retired was actually from a neck injury. Um, so I fully trained for a fight um, being plant-based, but unfortunately never got to fight because an old neck injury, I'd actually broken my neck um, you know, previously, and that the neck had got worse and worse. The bones were growing, and I have severe stenosis in my um, cervical uh, canal in my spine. And so I actually retired, and unfortunately, never got to put that increased endurance and strength uh, to the test, unfortunately. But uh, what happened, you know, six weeks after I went fully plant based, again, it took me a few months to transition over, but six weeks after going fully plant based, I tested uh, myself on the ropes. So, you know, the, the sort of two inch, 50 foot long battling ropes. Um, I tried that. Now, the best I'd ever got when I was in shape fighting for the UFC uh, was uh, eight minutes. And at our gym with a bunch of elite collegiate professional athletes, um, the most, if you got 10 minutes, you got your name on the wall. So I'd always wanted to get my name on the wall. And so few folks have got 20 minutes. Well, six weeks after going plant-based, I got an hour straight. And I felt like I really could have kept going, but the gym was closing down. People were, you know, ending their workouts, um, sort of cooling down, getting ready to leave. And my hands were bleeding and I had blisters, um, but literally went from eight minutes to an hour, which was the gym record by far. And, um, and that's sort of mentioned in the film as well. But what wasn't mentioned was um, my strength had increased also. So I'd been stuck on bench press, dumbbell bench press. So for some people, this isn't, they think, well, this is not very strong. And some people think this is strong. It depends who you are, right? So um, I was doing 105-pound dumbbells in each hand for five reps. And I'd been stuck at that for about two, two and a half years. And after going plant-based, I went to 115 pounds uh, for six reps, uh, three sets of six reps. So there really was like a dramatic difference. Um, and of course, that's anecdotal, but I feel it is backed up by the scientific literature that, you know, we've come across. So you're feeling suddenly just, I mean, that's a significant strength difference. What, so what does that mean in terms of practice for you? Because obviously people still ask that question, well, how can I get enough protein from plants? So, and I would assume there's some considerations to what you're taking in from a plant perspective to make sure you're getting the right things to build strength. So what does that look like for you practically when it comes to actually putting food in your body? Yeah, certainly. I mean, so for people that aren't athletes, they really don't need to worry too much. Most people in the Western world are consuming too much protein. And in fact, we have diseases of affluence of overconsumption, unlike, um, you know, countries where they haven't got enough resources, they've got diseases of underconsumption. So for most people that aren't working out and are only just lightly active, they're already getting enough protein just by eating any plants. Um, and then, you know, for I mean, there's a big misconception that plants really don't have protein. But again, all protein originates in plants. Animals are just the middlemen, and they're doing you a disservice. They're stripping the food of fiber and phytonutrients. They're um, concentrating the pesticides and the toxic heavy metals, and then they're adding in inflammatory mediators. And that goes, again, back to the blood flow that I was talking about before. That's a mechanism, actually, of inflammation, which not only affects blood flow, but also affects your recovery process. And the faster you can recover, the sooner you can work out, again, more effectively. Um, but 
basically, you know, all protein originates in plants. And the other myth is that the plant protein is incomplete. That's not true. All of the nine essential amino acids are in all plants. All plants contain all of those in varying proportions. So as long as you're eating enough food throughout the day, you get enough of the essential amino acids. Again, having said that, for athletes, especially for strength athletes, um, you know, you're having a bit more uh, protein per gram, uh, per grams of protein per kilogram. And endurance athletes tend to eat a lot more anyway, so they're getting, you know, more protein as well. So, you know, the, the recommendations are sort of uh, 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight for you know, sedentary individuals. Uh, 50% on top of that for endurance individuals, about 1.2. Again, there's kind of a wide range that work for heap of real here, but generally. And then 1.6 to 1.8 is generally good for strength athletes, uh, one, grams per kilogram. Um, going up to potentially 2.2 for some people, grams per kilogram, which is a gram per pound for strength athletes as well. So, you know, you do need more protein. Um, but the largest study ever done comparing plant-based eaters to um, meat eaters showed that they're getting enough protein. And in fact, if you were lift, if you were eating the calories of which like professional bodybuilders are eating, even just eating without even thinking about it, if you're eating enough calories, you're getting enough protein. Um, but for a lot of people, let's say your goal is I need to lose some fat, but I still want to maintain or gain my muscle. You want to be cognizant, so you're going to be eating foods that are um, you have from legumes, so be beans, peas, lentils, and then also nuts and seeds, that type of thing, because those are going to be pretty protein dense. So if you have a hard workout, what does a typical day look like for you eating wise? You know, oatmeal in the morning, that could be overnight oats where you've made it in the fridge. You don't need to heat it up at all. Or it could be, you know, cooked oats and that'll have peanut butter or almond butter, flaxseed, hemp seed, pumpkin seed, uh, mixed berries, banana in it, that type of thing. Um, you know, for lunch, I might do a lentil pasta because that's again, that's higher in protein, uh, with some veg and maybe some guacamole or some, um, dressing or sauce on it. Um, last night, for example, we had a, like a cottage pie, but instead of having beef in it, it had, uh, lentils in it, you know, and then for people that are doing protein shakes, you know, if, if they feel like they need protein shakes, uh, instead of doing a whey protein, you know, you can do a, a plant-based protein like pea or something. So, there's really things that you can just transition in and out. Instead of uh, cow's milk, you know, I do soy milk. Um, or you could have, you know, hemp milk or pea milk or, you know, there's so many different plant-based milks these days. So there's just simple switches you can uh, take. And I think for people interested, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It can be all or something. So there's evidence showing, certainly for health, that the more you shift in that direction um, towards more plant-based eating, the better you are. The better you are. Uh, and then those same biological mechanisms that affect health also affect performance. So it's very likely that you could get some benefits there. And of course, we have to remember that hardworking muscles run primarily uh, on glycogen. Obviously, you can go slow in steady state burning fat, um, but you really do need to get the, the, those carbs in as well. And, and those obviously come primarily from plants. Let's talk about switching gears a little bit to the, the clean sport topic. And you're basically saying, look, eating a plant-based diet is performance enhancing, Absolutely. but, but obviously there are those that need or feel they need to take shortcuts in order to excel and compete at the highest levels in all sports. And I would assume ultimate fighting or mixed martial arts is no different. What was your experience in that world seeing how things operated? What was the culture like 
when it came to performance enhancing drugs. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely um, some people getting uh, tested. It's not 100% testing all the time. I certainly got tested on a number of occasions before fights. There's also random testing now um, for those, at least for title fights or main fights on an event where they'll just show up at the athlete's house at random. Um, but there's definitely some people that have been tested positive, you know, for some pretty serious um, performance-enhancing drugs, and there have been bans put in place, but I'm not really familiar with, you know, if those bans are um, how long they really go or whether they're sort of commensurate with, you know, the, the drugs and, and what they were what they were doing. But um, it's certainly an issue across all sports, right? So uh, it's the same in, in mixed martial arts. What was your sense for the prevalence? And is it something that you were hyper aware of or or just, you know, maybe didn't think about that much? Yeah, I mean, there's not really much conversation uh, about it at the gym. So I'm not, you know, the various gyms that I've trained at. So I don't think people are really sharing their stories. If they are doing it, if it is happening a lot, it's not really being talked about. Um, so I, I really don't know if it's as prevalent in mixed martial arts as it is in, say, cycling or you know, sports like that. I'm, I'm really not sure. Yep. And when you were involved in the testing pool, what was your sense for that process within UFC? Was it, first of all, just on you, for you personally, was it a cumbersome process? Was it an easy process? And from your perspective, could they have been doing more? I mean, I think it could have happened more frequently. Um, it, was, it was quite random sometimes. It wasn't at every fight. Um, but a lot of times it was uh, uh, put in place by the UFC, even when it wasn't required by the governing body. So I think it's good that the UFC is doing something about it. Um, it was a pretty easy process. It was usually usually uh, urine testing, testing, and so um, it, you know it's not really a hassle at all, right? It's pretty easy to implement. Yeah, and I believe now UFC is involved with USADA, who has doing independent testing for them. I think that's where you're, you're mentioning some of that randomized testing that's happening now. It's yeah. happening through the US Anti-Doping Agency, which is which is always a good thing to hear. Is it something that you ever thought about? in any of your bouts looking across across the the ring at your opposing fighter you know was there ever consideration that that person might be doing it yeah i, th I mean i think potentially i think with fighting you know obviously it is an athletic endeavor but i think there's more um it's more about you know your technique and your um tenacity and, and anything else than then perhaps performance enhancing drugs would give you. I mean, of course, there's going to be an advantage, right? There's going to be a strength advantage, an endurance advantage. Um, and certainly I would do things to try to benefit my endurance. So I'm not even sure this is um, legal anymore, but I would sleep in a uh, hypoxic tent. So it was, it was legal at the time. Um, so, you know, the, basically what that is is simulating altitude. So for eight weeks leading up to the fight, I would crank up and be simulating that I was sleeping at 9,000 feet. Um, I don't think that's, is that, that's not allowed in all sports, right? Like in cycling, is that allowed? Yeah. Live high, train low. There's a lot of runners that have altitude tents too. I don't think they're illegal. But what you're basically saying through the film is that you don't necessarily need a tent or steroids or some other performance enhancing drug. What you simply need is changes to your diet. And what you're describing with the ability to go from eight minutes to 60 minutes and and with the battle ropes is pretty impressive is there any way to quantify for you 
the in in percentages the strength difference the endurance difference that you've been able to experience through diet uh i mean i haven't really tried to run the numbers but um you know for me it was certainly significant i haven't run you know the percentages or whatever um but i noticed a significant i mean you can see those numbers from eight minutes through an hour or from you know 105 pound bench press for five reps to 115 minutes that's a significant strength and endurance difference so so what is your mission with this film you know are, are you trying to get people to change the way they eat explicitly or is it really just about a personal exploration for you of finding the best ways to feed yourself well, I, the reason I made the film is because I felt like I'd been lied to and I wanted people to know the truth, right? And so hate being lied to, thought I wanted to get this word out. Now, we're not trying to tell people to go vegan or go vegetarian with the film. What we're trying to do is show some facts, dispel some myths and let people make their own decisions. And I really think there's significant performance advantages to looking at your fuel, you know, as well as stress reduction, obviously not smoking, Um you know, and, and being smart about your training. There's lots of other things. It's not just about diet, right? But diet is very important and especially for health. So we're trying to, you know, give people the information and let them make their own decisions. But I do wonder, as someone who does still eat meat, is there a stepwise difference between going completely vegan versus living somewhere in the middle? I mean, is it is it significant enough when you when you make that binary switch that it's worth it versus living somewhere in the middle, in the gray? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly benefits to um, the health. We know that. We know that from, like, the Adventist studies we see and the, um, uh, what is it, in the UK? There's another large cohort study in the UK, of which name um, surpasses me right now. But the Adventist study is showing that um, there's a significant difference going from uh, omnivore to pescatarian to um, vegetarian to completely vegan. We saw a different stepwise there in reducing animal products. And then the PREDIMED study um, showed a significant increase in health markers, um, significant reduction in death over five-year follow-up across all average ages um, when people just incorporated more plant food. So that wasn't going from omnivore to vegetarian that was increasing fruits and vegetable consumption um significantly so there was certainly benefits in health there and given that we know that the biological mechanisms that affect health also affect performance i think it's you know almost certainly going to make a difference you know getting the sort of um, highly processed foods out of your diet getting the animal foods out of your diet in whatever degree and shifting more towards plants and especially whole plant foods right because no one's saying that white sugar or white flour is uh is good for you got it so as we i know we've got your we have to wrap up here as we wrap up here where can people find the film first of all well the film uh you know the best way to find information about the film is to go on the website which is gamechangersmovie.com and then obviously we put a lot of information out on our social pages, which is uh, at Game Changers Movie on Instagram and Facebook, and then at GC Movie on Twitter. But right now the best thing is uh, to pre-order the film on iTunes uh, because um, it's coming out on October 1st and uh, it's actually the number one uh, pre-order on iTunes right now, which is incredible for a documentary, so we're excited about that. 
And then we're also putting out a bunch of resources, right? So people get the film or inspired to make a change and eat more plants in their diet, but they don't really know what to eat or how to make the transition. So the website is full of resources and, and recipes and that type of thing. And what's next for you? Obviously, you're promoting the film, but do you have a next step in this journey for you? Yeah, well, and I still train, um, you know, government agencies like the Special Forces or U.S. Marshals and that type of thing in hand-to-hand combat. But right now, you know, we do know that five out of six people that go meet free end up going back. And one of the one of the primary reasons is not having those resources. So in addition to the website, people are starting to ask us to, hey, can you put out a book? Can you put out an app? Um, could you do training weekends where the experts come out and we, we listen to lectures and we train with the athletes? So that's really what I want to do is keep promoting this, um, you know, a healthier and better uh, diet, basically. There you go. James Wilkes, everyone. Thanks to him for joining us and providing his perspective on not only the clean sport culture within mixed martial arts, but also a way to potentially improve performance the right way by making adjustments in your diet. Thanks also to you for listening and engaging the way you do. As always, you can check us out on the website at cleansport.org where you can sign the Clean Sport Pledge as well as encourage brands and others to sign the pledge. And then, of course, you can follow us along on social media at CleanSportCo. That's at CleanSportCO on Twitter and Instagram to join in the conversation. With that, we'll wrap it this week. We'll talk to you next week with another interview.